You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good evening, this is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, we are two friends that love to get together to talk about the scriptures and God and life. And we imagine that you are sitting in, listening in on a conversation. Uh, It's nighttime, but we have a couple cups of coffee and we have uh, an exciting podcast uh, coming up today. We have a special um, topic uh, that we're going to discuss. But before we get into that, I want to say hello to my friend. Reverend, how are you doing, brother? I am doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. It's uh, Friday. Yes. And uh, it's uh, it's been beautiful outside, and we have, um, we're blessed for this time of year where we live to have good weather. Um, today, we're going to sort of change gears and do a special podcast um, on death and on dying. And uh, maybe you can uh, enlighten our listeners to, uh, to why we're going to do that today, as opposed to our regular Jonah podcast. Yeah. Um, it's often been claimed that the church has a tendency to answer questions that no one is asking. Hmm. I'm not sure that's necessarily true because the theological questions, the biblical questions that we are answering are crucial. It's just that sometimes when there's uh, some sort of issue, some social unrest, right? Uh, by confession, we tend to be late. That is very true. Usually, um, we're sort of the last to show up, and but but something happened a couple of days ago that I think obviously, if you live in the states, uh, you have heard of the uh, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant um, and his daughter and others that uh, died in a helicopter crash in California, and uh, much of our country who have grown up watching him play basketball. Of course, he's been retired and. Uh, has had a family. Um, uh, it's been um, a surprise. And of course, a lot of questions come up at a time like this. So we want to uh, to address it because I think, as you said, it's a question that um, we don't want to neglect. And, uh, and I think uh, knowing what we know about the scriptures and about the gospel uh, it's actually a perfect topic and a perfect time to talk about it. So, yeah, I, I'd say um, first of all, John, for yourself and I, we want to send our condolences to the families of all nine persons. Yeah, who were on that uh, flight. Um, whatever the ages. Yeah. That is certainly not easy. The means by which it occurs is not easy. And whilst death may happen in a moment, the fallout can be for a lifetime. Yeah. 
and so to the precious families, we are praying for you. And may the God of all comfort bring consolation to your hearts in a manner where the Holy Spirit will use this to conform you to the image of Christ. And uh, may he give you strength to endure the difficult seconds. Yeah. You know, people think of days ahead. Sometimes when you lose someone, you can't even imagine the next second no. or minute. No. Um, and, and by the way, that's a variant, right? Because all loss or grief is personal. And then you add the complexities like one's wife or husband grieves differently than right. one's child. Right. And so we, we, we grieve with you. Yeah. But we hold these truths in our heart that God is faithful, that his truth or, uh, and his character is superior and uh, that he will walk them through yeah. these dark days. Um, while we are using this as a springboard, not for popularity or advertisement or anything of that no, sort. No, that's, that's very opportunistic and manipulative, and that's not our goal. Whilst we are using this for a springboard, it really wouldn't matter if you were not aware of that tragedy and if you're in another country and... And far removed from that, you have questions as well. Right. Um, because you also wonder why tragic deaths and, and why deaths apparently so young or, or things of that nature. So it's really um, those questions that we seek to right. address this evening. It's, I think especially, you know, it's, it's one thing where you have a, maybe a person who's lived a full life. They're, you know, lived into late in the years. That's one thing you almost know that's coming, but what you have here is the unexpectedness and the the, the person's life is cut off short, and then you know that they had more to give and or a person who's just coming in into teenage years or a young person who you know you don't expect that it's not something you know that is supposed to be, and of course um it's I think that's that's that those kind of scenarios are the ones that hit you the hardest because you just didn't expect it and not in that way and not that person and the why questions and and you know what do we, how do we how do we how do we grapple with this um, because it never seems fair you know uh, it, it always seems that it's the young the 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 younger or the innocent or uh, the person who had who had life ahead of them, and their life is taken. It never seems fair, you know. Um, it's um, that's something that I think takes a long time to grapple with, um, and and wrestle with. And and of course, you know, hopefully in our conversation today we can grapple with some of the questions that come in. Um, I think, of course, I mean, the obvious thing is you know, death, what, what, what is that? Uh, other than, you know, we're, you know, as ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we, physical death is part of the fallen world that we live in. 
And for whatever reason, God has chosen not to um, stop aging and stop sickness and stop physical death from happening, even for Christians and believers in Jesus. But let's talk about maybe just, let's define, because for some people, death is final, final. For some, there's, there's hope beyond the grave, both of which, of course, have have their difficulties and have, um, there's, it's still not easy to get through. No matter, even if you know you're going to see your loved one again in heaven, it's still not easy to walk those days without that person or, so let's maybe talk about that. And yeah, if, if you don't mind, John, I'd like to begin with why death? Hmm. Yeah. Um, Originally, Man was placed in a garden under the rule of God and given one major commandment. And that commandment was not to eat of a tree that the biblical text refers to as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right. Um, And I am truncating a great deal of the narrative, but this particular command was intended to convey that there are certain boundaries that belong to God alone and certain territory that God has entrusted to man. And man engages in an act of autonomy, uh, literally autonomous, self-rule, and determines that uh, he, and I'm referring to he because although 1 Timothy 2 says the woman was deceived, the Bible is quite clear that Adam was not in fact deceived and committed high-handed treason against God the Sovereign. And uh, as a result of that, there was a consequence that ensued. The consequence, according to chapter number two, would be immediate. So there was some form of immediate death. Right. But then there was a consequential sentence of death that was placed upon man in chapter number three. And that consequential sentence would be a pronouncement of a return to the dust from which man came. Right. He says, dying, you shall die. Absolutely. It's very emphatic in in the Hebrew text, as you know. And so um, that's why death. Now, I want to be very careful because while overall death is biblically associated with judgment, and a great deal can be said here, right. but that's not necessarily the, the goal of this broadcast no. at this point. Overall, while death is associated with judgment for sin upon humanity, and so it is um, punitive, right? right? It does not carry over, however, that every immediate death is is as a result that, of some immediate sin so, or some immediate judgment from God. So basically, and that, that, that helps out because 
you, th- you know, death is part of the judgment to man, but when a person dies, it doesn't mean that God's judging them necessarily. It's just part of living in the fallen world. It's part of the overall consequence of, of being a child of Adam yeah. and contaminated by sin in I, every part. And I think, you know, the scripture is pretty clear, even in, um, you know, in Genesis 3, the fall happens. In Genesis 5, it goes through uh, sort of a genealogy of, of sorts um, and lists Adam and his descendants. And there's a, there's a, there's a repeating phrase, you know, they lived so many years and they had these children and then they died. You know, that repetition, I like to refer to that section of the Bible as the obituary of the Bible. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if I'm looking at it, it's, you know, Adam lived 130 years and became the father of Seth and, and then after that he had other sons and daughters and lived 800 years and then he died. And it repeats that, that whole cycle, you know, the next child. And they lived somebody, even if they lived hundreds of years, then he died. And he died. And he died. And as if to say, not even Adam or his children or his descendants up through the time of, of Noah, except for Enoch. Yeah, there, there's escaping death in the Bible is an anomaly. It's an anomaly. We, we should be clear about that. That in Genesis chapter number five, it would appear that Enoch is the only relief right. that we get in that mantra, and he died, and he died, and he died. Um, a next, the next individual that would have some relief, or that we get some relief from, is Elijah. Right. So you have um, you have two people out of billions and billions and billions of people. Two people. So yeah, <laughs> there, there, there is a group of individuals. Yeah who, if one uh, subscribes to the rapture, yeah. um, will not taste death, but they will be changed in a moment right. and in the twinkling of an eye. Right. Uh, but outside of those individuals, uh, death is one for one. Yeah, and, other, and, 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 or, and Jesus, too, who conquered, who died, but then rose again. Right. It's batting, uh, it, yeah, death. So all to say is, an individual should should more so, John, count on the idea that he or she will not get out of this world alive. See, that's and that's something we don't like to think about. I no. mean, especially if you're younger, you don't think about those things until you get older. When you're young, you don't think of that of that stuff. When you're certainly when you're not when you're a teenager or in your forties or in our fifties, you know, I I think about you know as being a I think about life and death all the time because of the nature of being in ministry. But you don't really plan on it. You know, you're not planning on it because you're not planning on dying. You're planning on living for a long time. But you can't, it's that inescapable thing that you can't escape from is one day God's going to say, your time's up. And the unfortunate thing is you and I have no control over that. Well, you know, something that I'll suggest later on, John, is, in fact, the Bible has a different perspective of that than we do, because the Bible actually argues that the individual who does contemplate his or her death yeah. actually gains a greater wisdom and quality out of life right. than the individual who pretends that it's far out there in the distant place or future where where 
it will not soon, if at all, be visited upon them. Um, and, and so we'll talk about yeah, that. Yeah. I, it, my, next, my next thing is, John, while we're discussing this, that's a very brief why of death. I think we should consider the what of death. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. I mean, we're obviously, we're talking first about physical death, you know, with tragedies that you, you see somebody that has died and everybody is familiar with that. We can't live in this world very long without realizing the physical part of death. Um, but of course there's, there is uh, spiritual death as well, which is separation from God. And it's the, it's the what happens after you physically die, whether or not you continue on. I know all of us will continue on somewhere, but that separation from God, which, which I think the Bible defines death as separation from God, being dead to God or separate, separate from God. That's the part I think people have a hard time discussing because it's not a comfortable subject because at some point you have to face that reality of, meeting God or not, you know, being with God or not, you know? Um, yeah. It's important as we are contemplating the whole of scripture yeah. canonically to, to describe what death is not from Genesis to revelation. Yeah. Death is never annihilation or a cessation of existence. Right. So that's that. Some people think that when you die, you just stop existing. Yeah, that's very that's very materialistic. Right. That's very nihilistic. That's very um, 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 th- that's very um, um, counter the biblical text. Right. So the scripture teaches that first of all, by by the fact that we are made in the image of God and we are we are. Um, spiritual beings let's say that are are meant to live forever somewhere we are, we exist we will exist once our body dies we will exist in uh, at some either in heaven or in hell um with god or separate from god the bible de- de- determines that with god that's life away from god is death but we you still exist yeah death if i am defining it um in either testament, very simplistically, right? The, the term in Hebrew is mut. mut. The term in Greek is thanatos. thanatos. Uh, in either testament, across the board, it is always defined as separation. Right. And the separation is what? Well, before we ever had physical death of humanity, we had separation from God. I actually think Which God is, was being honest when yeah. he said, in the day you eat thereof, yes. dying you will die. Right. And I think Adam shows that sign of separation by hiding from God, but he's already been tragically severed from God right. in his spiritual disposition, he and Eve. And so he says... I was afraid of right, you. Right. Um, so what we see in that day is a spiritual separation, but what God sentences the man with in Genesis 3 is a physical separation from his 
spiritual or soulish self. So in one sense, you could say that Adam was physically alive but spiritually dead. Yes. Which means that there are people like Adam around the world today that are physically alive but yet spiritually dead because they're spiritually dead to God or separated from God, which God defines death primarily, spiritual rather, the physical part caught up to it, you know, when he died. So that, t- that tells you, you could be alive physically, but dead spiritually. And, and the greater tragedy, by the way, John, if we're honest, yeah. is the spiritual disposition. We, we often grieve over the apparent physical loss. Yeah. But the Bible considers the greatest tragedy. Yes. The spiritual separation. It's interesting. I'd like to just read something from Ecclesiastes as, as the preacher is giving imagery to um, how the body is wearing down through the phases of life. And as he's giving picture to that imagery, he says uh, in verse 6 in a warning that we are to remember him, um, that's the inference, before the silver cord is broken and the golden bowl is crushed, the picture by the well is, is shattered and the wheel at the cistern is crushed. Then the dust will return to the earth as it was. That, that is an allusion to uh, Genesis chapter number 3, you will return to the dust, for from dust you came. Right. So Adam comes from Adama. But he says, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. The believer at rest, Dr. Norman Geisler, argued for what is referred to theologically as conditional unity. Right. And the concept of conditional unity was this in a nutshell, that mankind was always intended to be interconnected, right? That there was to be no separation, if you will, of the material from the immaterial aspect of man. And that the unnatural experience of death as a result of punishment upon sin uh, separates the two temporarily. Right. Because whether believer or unbeliever in the resurrection, the two will be rejoined. But but there is something of a temporary severance or separation. And, and the body and the mind grieve over this and our social framework grieve over this because it is that which is intended to be um, ourself. Right. It's a real portion of us, so what of you're, who we are. What you're saying is man as a body, soul, and spirit, or soul and body, or body and soul, whatever, was never meant to exist apart from each other. In other words, you are, you are, you are wholly you when you are body, soul, and spirit. Yeah, I, I would I would probably go more dichotomy and say I'm the term spirit. I'm a, dichot- I'm a trichotomist. Are you... <laughs> 
Sorry. The, the term spirit and soul, in my understanding in the New Testament, are yeah. used interchangeably. So, let's put it this way. Material, material or and immaterial. Material. So, you were, so when you die, when a believer dies, before, in fact, when a believer is living on this earth, he is a living, born-again spirit, and he lives in a body that's fallen apart, dying. When he or she dies and goes to be with the Lord in heaven... The, that's a temporary place in a sense of at one point we're going to be rejoined with our resurrected bodies and we are not we weren't we weren't meant to spend eternity apart from our body our body is part of us yeah the, the redemption yeah covers us wholly yes uh, or entirely right and and I want to be very careful about this because sometimes as preachers we can attempt to give comforting words or language that may cause a person to feel good, but it's not necessarily theologically or biblically accurate. Right. We'll say something like, well, that's just the shell, or that's not really them. That's not true. It is them. That is I, them. But I've said that before. It's only part of you them. Know, you know, when you're, when you, I've said that before, not to try to, but sort of like, I don't want to remember them as just being a dead body. All right. right. You know, and so I would say something like, they're not here. They're, you know, of course, that's their body. Yeah. yeah. But, of course, the, and the ultimate goal is to be reunited with your... With your spirit. Your, yeah. B- because the intention is not to become a disembodied spirit, as it Right. Were. And so that's really them. By the way, resurrection is not you having another body outside of that body. Right. Resurrection is God's glorious transformation of that portion of you. Right. Jesus did not simply buy buy or purchase the immaterial part of you. Right. He purchased the material part of you as well. Hear what the apostle says. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Right. Right. And so Christ has purchased all that we are, both material and immaterial, and and what occurs at death for believer or unbeliever is a severance or a a separation right. of of that material aspect from that immaterial aspect and 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 that is overall we're not taking a particular case in mind right. now right overall that was a punishment handed down to mankind in connection with um, our sin. Right. And, and but, it can be difficult, but we'll argue later it can also be a relief. But if we have, like for the believer, if you have, first of all, the, the good news of, of, have, of being made alive spiritually, born again, regenerated, uh, for those who place their faith in Jesus, you have that hope, you have that, the assurance that you'll be with him, but then you also have the other side is you're not going to be disembodied. You're going to be rejoined with a new 2.0 version of you, uh, resurrection body, the same that Jesus has. He has uh, a resurrection body. And you have that hope of if he has saved you spiritually and made you alive spiritually, he's not going to fall short and not save you completely and and leave your body to to you know to 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 rot whatever you know he's going to raise that and it's you know Paul describes it in the first Corinthians uh, fifteen about you know, about right. so imperishable is raised perishable so for the believer there's great hope 
Um, and there's great anticipation. But the, the whole process of dying, even for the believer, is not comfortable. Yeah, we'll get there, John. I think what we're seeking to say with this second aspect is this. No one who has lived, whether believer or unbeliever, upon dying has ceased to be. Right. Um, that's important. That's very important. And, and so I think I want to say in comfort um, that, that albeit there was a tragedy uh, on last Sunday. Yeah. Those persons have ceased to be in our material world. Right. But that does not carry over that they have ceased to be or to exist or to live. Right. Um, it, Jesus says this to the thief on the cross in, right. in Luke 23. He says to a man whose body is going through the torture that will result in the death process and experience. He says, today, you will be with me in paradise. Yes. Now, Jesus would only be on the cross for six hours, and they would take a body off. But Jesus is under the impression, I and you will still be alive. Um, it seems to me that there is an aliveness after death. Right. Let me just interject something here. If I said that to you, it wouldn't carry the same weight as Jesus saying it in the sense of he has full control. He's the authority He's on the author all things visible, for, invisible. For him to say, yeah. today you will be with me in paradise implies, of course, his total control over where, where he will be and where this thief who now has placed his faith in Jesus will be as well. There's a confidence there that, that, that Jesus has that I, I couldn't say that in full, you know, in with full confidence of myself, but he does because he is now the one who is fully in control of both life and death. So it gives hope. I just think it's just this hope. Yeah. It's not empty, you know? Oh, Definitely not. It's the, in fact, listen at what Jesus says. He says, so when we fear, Matthew 10, yeah. we shouldn't fear the individual that's able to kill this body. Right, right. Now, now, if the body was all we had, if materialism was all we had, right, Matthew 10, 28, right. if that was all we had, then we should be afraid. We should be very afraid. But Jesus says, what we should really be afraid of is the person who's able to kill the body and the soul in eternal punishment. Now, right. now that doesn't mean, wow, he will annihilate or, or, or cause to cease to exist right. the soul. What he means is temporal separation of material and immaterial is nothing in comparison to right. spiritual separation of the material and immaterial from life right. himself, right. namely God. 
Right. And so, and so even in that, there are gradations of the severity of death. Right. So that physical death is severe. It's difficult, but not nearly as severe as what the Bible refers to as the second death. Right. So, 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 I, so this, but I think this really gets into, I think part of what we want to talk about is it's one thing to comment on somebody dying physically and dying short and dying tragically and all of that. And we've all experienced that friends, families, loved ones who have done that. What's even more important though is the second death. Yeah. Because there is this time on earth is the time to, to get it right. And I think if, if anything, our time on earth is to plan for that, to, to, to prepare for what comes after the grave, which is life with God in heaven with Jesus or away from God. And I think in we could focus on the first and neglect the second. And the second is even more important because the eternal separation from God, the eternal death um, that affects everyone's born spiritually dead. Um, that, that is of even a greater consequence because, because of the scripture we just referred to. And I think that's the part that what we're commissioned to do in sharing the gospel as presenting the good news that you don't have to die or remain dead spiritually. You can be, you can be alive and know for certain that you'll be with Jesus in heaven, fully alive, not separated from God, not enduring torture and punishment, but to have full life, you know, and I think that's that's really where at the rubber meets the road is we can say, you know, here's how you can have a good life on earth. But if we fail to tell you how to have eternal life now, then then this whole discussion is pointless. But I think that's what we're kind of wrestling with is is yes, we're 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 discussing the the brevity of life, the unfairness, so to speak, of of death and how it it takes no prison it takes no um it's not merciful death is not merciful yeah. yeah it is it is it is terrible and of course we hold on to the fact that Jesus was victorious over death and someday death itself will be put away and swallowed up but until that time we face the reality of living in a fallen world and having to consider where you will spend eternity Yes, I, you know, John, I, um, we've dealt with the, uh, the why of death. Yeah. And, uh, we've dealt with the, the what of death. But when you look at a situation where you have, uh, a 41 year old. Yeah. Uh, who, for all practical purposes, Although you used the word earlier, retirement forty-one is hardly well from from one from, career, from and now he's career. now he's venturing off, and you, uh, you know having involvement in family, having basketball camps, having you know hopefully many more years to look forward to, and having 
you know, no, a normal life. In the to put that in perspective, um, an individual in Abraham's time, two thousand BCE, was not considered a man until he was forty. Yeah. Um, in the first so testament, means you're 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 a man now. Oh, you heard me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, in the first testament, you couldn't even begin the priesthood, and in the intertestamental period, till you were thirty. Thirty, yeah. Um, a generation in the first testament was considered forty years. Yeah. Um, and and so you look at something of that nature, and you say, uh, he was just forty-one. Yeah, and it didn't look like he was intending to stop anytime soon. He was always known as a man of action on his way someplace. Yeah. But, but if if I if I were tempted, John, to stumble over forty one, I have three thirteen year olds in that same craft. Yeah, that 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 make forty one look at least a bit better. Yeah, right. Um, I want to say this. This may seem like uh, an off-state statement, but let me just be very clear. So, first of all, let me just step back from this and and speak as an American. We are are strangely, um, strangely convenient in that which we are sensitive to to and that to which we desensitize ourselves. Let me explain what I mean. Elaborate. Yeah, I'll tease that out a little bit. Um, So 41, we would say, is tragic, right? Yeah. We'd also say 13 is tragic. Yeah. If if you've ever taken a trip to the Phoenix Children's Hospital, Hmm. those who are in terminal conditions... Yeah vary across the board, right? And that's tragic. Yeah. But then in America, we kind of have this thing where we uh, we look at certain ages as tragic, but what we do in abortion... Come on. ...to millions mm-hmm. of babies every year? See, that's See, not we tragic but because we, that's my choice. Right, so we... We, we lie to ourselves. Yeah. We, we lie to ourselves when the truth of the matter is, if, if that baby had been born and then died somewhere like this, we'd say, what a tragedy. Right. But if for the convenience of our uh, lives, jobs, finances, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a means of birth control or... Or control over one's body, but which th- science proves you, biologically you, it's a distinct body. You're, you're hitting the nail on the head, control. We want to feel like we have control over when somebody is able to live or not live and how long. We, we, are, we convince ourselves that we, can, um, that we can be death. You know, look at, you know, all scientific research on, you know, eating right and taking these pills. All this to avoid you know, dying and the, and people, there are people who, you know, they're wanting to, you know, freeze themselves and, and stay in that state until somebody discovers how to beat death, 
or perhaps we go to uh, a distant planet somewhere and find some, I mean, some craziness, but we want to feel like we have control over when, when we live or die. And the reality is we can't, that's God's place. That's God's place. It, it is his place. And, and so I think I want to say in great humility, I'm, I'm not picking it. No. I want to say, yeah, this is to be grieved over. 41, 13, but first, second, third trimester, we're at the hands of a physician at the choice of a mother, one's life is taken. Yeah. That too is tragedy. Yeah. And because we have sociologically and politically desensitized ourselves to right. that, doesn't make that any less See, tragic. See, we, we can lie to ourselves and lie to each other, but you can't lie to God. That, that's, you, that one flying in God's, uh, in God's court. It's interesting when, that when the angel appeared to Mary, refers to the child that's in you, Jesus, of course, unborn, um, a full person. We, we, we don't... We, uh, that's that uh, it's a, it's it's a it's yeah. a it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. thing but somehow but somehow we have to realize that we do not you cannot play god and not be affected by the consequences of that and yeah i want to be careful about picking what's tragic 41 tragic 13 tragic, not taken away from those at all. Mm -mm. But I want to suggest it's no less tragic because we've been desensitized to it. Right. Um, in one of the safest places where a person ought to be, when they are handed death um, at the altar of convenience, that's tragic. Yeah. Um, great men and women. No, have have uh, had life severed from them. I'm mean, going to say something though, because obviously we're touching on a very sensitive topic. There are those individual individuals who have gone and done that. Yeah, and they regret it, and they grieve, and they feel a tremendous guilt. Um, you know, we we I think we need to speak to them too because. There is forgiveness and hope in God, and and there's no turning back the clock, of course. But there's the, and I know I I've known people in in the past who have gone and done that, yeah. and yeah. they they have a tremendous hole, burden, shame, shame, sorrow, shame, yeah. sorrow. There is forgiveness and redemption in Jesus. There is healing in Jesus. There's forgiveness in Jesus. And I just want to speak to those people and just just bring encouragement that Amen. Um, you can't turn back time, but God's God's grace is sufficient for you as well. And that that which you have have killed is only the material. Yeah. Because again, they are a conditional unity. They are a whole person, and and it's a separation of the material from the spiritual, 
and and in heaven for many a believer who has undergone this tragic circumstance, there'll be a wonderful reuniting. Yeah. And, and and we can mention more about that yeah. later on. It, John, when I was preparing on uh, last Sunday to uh, don the pulpit, I, I had the wonderful opportunity to have been at your church before that came to my own church. We had our time of worship and just finished. A very beloved brother of mine handed me a telephone. It was a very unusual mm. act. I didn't know whether it was a scripture to encourage me um, or a message that I needed to see or anything of the sort. And the headline took mm. my breath away. Yeah. Um, it said, NBA star Kobe Bryant dead in a crash I, I was I was stunned yeah what, what do you mean a crash now I won't go through the details of that because I don't want to be insensitive um, but I will say that's tragic yeah we now have a bit more information about the nature of the crash. And we know that it was uh, uh, a difficult scene. Yeah. Uh, and we know that uh, a fire ensued that burned for some time. Yeah. And it was, okay. fo it was a foggy, foggy day. Yeah, the weather. The weather was, was foggy. Yeah. Here's my greater question moving away from that. Because there was such a tragic means by which this separation of material and immaterial came to an end for nine people on that vessel, d does that mean that that was the judgment of God? Mm. You know, because, you, you know, back in on 9-11. On right. That was the mantra of of many in the pulpit. This is God's judgment on America. Um, um, how about uh, Hurricane Katrina? Yeah, on our friends in, in New Orleans, that's people were saying the same thing. I mean, that's right. And, no. and so, what happens when a person is in a horrendous car crash? Paul Walker. You remember that in the in the in the Porsche? Um, yes, yes, yes. I mean, I mean, we, I have, I have had friends in college. I was telling about this before we were recording. Friends that that died in a head-on collision. Um, they were believers. Um, I've had, you know, we both had family members and loved ones who died tragically and unexpectedly and um, under terrible conditions. And of course, there's always the question: Why? You know why? Why him? Or why her? Why in this way? And of course, you know you're alluding to the fact that the the nature of the death doesn't mean that it's because of the punishment of God. Because someone, some, some, listen. It's kind of interesting because you get these YouTube preachers. <laughs> you spend too much time watching YouTube, <laughs> and. And they get on, and they always have something to say. Yeah, right. And and so they 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 are kind of on the soapbox, 
and suddenly it becomes a scenario. You see the way that this happened and, and, and how this happened is clearly God's... No. Yeah. Because then you have to argue, then what about people who are clearly uh, wicked living for a long time? Yeah. I mean, you just can't, you can't make a judgment that says it's the, you know, the punishment of God. Listen, we live in a fallen world. And for some reason, God has chosen not to implement the benefits of Jesus's death on the cross and resurrection. He has not appropriated the, the benefits instantly to us. He is allowing sickness to carry on, death to carry on, disease and all kinds of things that to remind us the fact that we still live in a fallen world and believer and unbeliever alike are affected the same way. So it's not necessarily a judgment or punishment of God. It's the nature of the fallen world we live in. Luke 13. Mm -hmm. A couple of tragedies make the uh, headlines of Jesus' day. Right. And the disciples and others want to know, why would God let that level of tragedy happen? Right. And, and the idea, by the way, in the ancient Near East and the First Testament, uh, carrying over into the transitional testaments, the Gospels, right. was something like this. If you do good, you get good. Yeah. If you do evil or bad or wicked, you get really punished, that's right? The, that's the premise of Job's friends thinking. Absolutely. You must have did something wrong, Job, because you're suffering, and only people who did something wrong suffer. And, and when Job claimed his innocence, his friends basically said one after the other, um, I'm not buying it, and you're arrogant, and that's why you're still going through it. And if you just repent, maybe God would have mercy on you. Yeah. In this particular narrative... The text opens up, now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him, the pronoun reaching back to the antecedent Jesus, about the Galileans. Luke, thir- Luke 13. Yes. Yeah. About the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And now, uh, these individuals um, had seemingly caused some sort of political upheaval and possible coup to... Pilate, who was not only under the employ of Rome, but was a treasured party of Rome, right. who was sent there to keep the peace right. in a hotbed. Right. And so Pilate, doing what he did, and, and the greater historical record concerning Pilate shows us that he handled things as Rome did with, a, with an iron fist. Um, Pilate decides, I'm going to make an example of these individuals. And so whilst they are in the middle of sacrificing, he actually has them slaughtered by Roman soldiers. Right. And so surely the thought is, and maybe Pilate and the Roman soldiers were the instruments of God to bring strong judgment and chastisement upon them because of the tragic, horrendous way that they were murdered. Jesus responds, And he said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you the truth, no. 
But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Now, when he says, do you suppose this? It's a rhetorical question that anticipates a negative answer. That's not why that happened. He goes forward. um, Verse 4, there's another incident where a structure, a tower, um, actually... Um, uh, for whatever reason, we don't know if it was weather, we don't know if it was the compromise of time and decay, but it actually fell at an inconvenient occasion on 18 individuals. Look at verse 4. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? Again, a rhetorical question which anticipates a negative answer. Absolutely not, is the, is the innuendo. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Here's the thing that we should, should suggest. <clears throat> No, the helicopter crash and the tragic way that it happened was not an indication of God's judgment. By the way, one would be hard-pressed to suggest that there were not believers on that helicopter. Um, 2001, the Twin Towers. Yeah. There were believers in those towers. Yeah. The Titanic. There were believers on that ship. And, and, and there have been believers in plane crashes and, and who died by gunshot wounds, drive-bys. I, I, what I'm suggesting is the tragic nature of a person's death does not speak necessarily to that death being associated with the judgment of God. Yeah. I mean... It's human nature to think that way. It's human nature to think, well, if you die tragically, then of course it's, you know, you must have deserved, you must have did something. Um, But that's not the case. No, it's not. That's not the case. So how you die, you know, it's not, it's not the case of whether or not it's a judgment from God. Um, No. I mean, you can, you know, um, I think that the thing that people have a hard time with is, is we because we so live in a, in a society and a way of thinking that if you do good, good things will happen, and if you if you do bad, bad things will happen. Well, you have people who live bad lives, terrible lives, and they have no trouble. Yeah, you know, and so and so this, you know, you you have those scenarios, and so you can't make that judgment. But the 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 more important thing though is is being ready. Is being ready for, um, for whatever. Because let me just back up here. You and I have no control over how we're going to die. We think we do. We think we have. We think we can, you know, beat it and control it. We have absolutely no control over the number of days we live. You know, Psalm one thirty nine talks about the number of days. You know, and. Um, and other scriptures talk, you know, talks about the allotment of our days. That's all in God's hands. That's all in God's. But we have no control over that. What we can do is control how we live our life, how we walk, how we treat people. But whether or not we will live to be 100 or live to only be 13 or 41 or whatever age, 
we have no control. And I think that's the thing that's hard for us because we, as human beings, want to have control over everything. And you have, you have people who, you have athletes who eat right, they exercise, and then they drop dead from some heart condition or something, you know. They did everything they're supposed to do, you know. You know they, they followed the diet plans, they followed the exercise, and didn't smoke, didn't drink. They did everything else they could. All, all that to, you know, to, to, to have a short life. The more important question, though, is not whether or not we can control that aspect is whether or not we can prepare for what comes after that. And I think that's the, the, the most important question is, are you ready? Are you ready that no matter if you live to a hundred or tomorrow, God says it's your time. Are you ready to meet him? Are you ready? Are you prepared to live forever with Jesus? Yeah. I, John, you raised an interesting issue uh, that I'd like to just touch for a moment. When you do look at someone 13, in fact, not just someone, three someone yeah. oh. with such strong potential. Yeah. And when you look at someone at 41 who was accomplishing great things, I mean, extraordinary things, and was was not simply sitting back uh, celebrating himself, right? but was trying to contribute to young people with children's books, yeah. enjoying being a husband, a, a father, I mean, a good daddy. Yeah. Um, you look at that and you say, gone too soon. You mentioned Psalm 139. I'd like to just read a verse from there. Verse 16 says, Your eyes, the pronoun again, going back to the antecedent in this case, the Lord, have seen my unformed substance, and in your book, his book, God's book, were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Mm. Now, what strikes me about this is in this particular uh, psalm, what the Psalter is suggesting is what appears incidental and accidental to you and I, right? From our perspective, the how of it may be, have been an incident or accident. Right. But the time of it? The when. Was always up to God. Now, now, here's the thing. The reason why it seems too soon to us is because we didn't know when it was. Yeah. We don't know God's calendar. For some, the calendar is older. A hundred plus, right? They, they just had an individual who was 117 who yeah. passed away. Wow. Some individuals are still going strong in their 90s. Yeah. Praise God. Yeah. Some individuals are in convalescent centers. And John, they, they haven't hit 50. Um, for these young ladies, they were only 13. And I'm not saying that that's easy for any of us. 
But I am suggesting gone too soon is not our decision. Because God is not referencing our calendar when he gives death permission to call back the life he's given. So at so at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we, in one sense, we don't have control over the length of our days. Uh, somebody commits suicide. Obviously, that's a that's a different story. I'm talking in normal. That's a false control. That's a though. false control suicide. But because still, even the means, because you know how many people have tried to do that and not succeeded. Yeah. But 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 let's just say normal in normal life, we we are our our time is not in our control. It's in God's hands, right? What we can do, what's in our control, is live every single day. We we're, we're not promised tomorrow. Um, tomorrow is not promised to us. Um, every breath we take is a gift from God, right? To live each day in preparation for the day that is ultimately coming to have a perspective of death is not something I'm going to put out of my mind. It is something that is a reality that, that can hit me at any time. I want to be ready no matter when or how I want to be ready. I mean, I hope you and I live to the rapture or that we live to ripe old age and we die in our sleep or something, you know, you hope those scenarios, um, but that's out of that's out of. I I don't have the privilege of going and looking at the book of life that God has and seeing how many days and and how and everything else. Yeah. But what I can do is to take each day as a gift from God and follow God and make that day count, and then make the next day count. And live as if um, it's the most important day of my life. Because in a split section, I mean, I remember I was a, I was at a at a public place. Uh, we were walking, and behind us, we we heard this thump and this commotion and ladies screaming. It was an older. I told you about this. This older gentleman that was just dropped dead. He wasn't that old. He was probably in his 60s. Just dropped dead. And they tried to, unsuc- resuscitate. to resuscitate him. He, he, he was on vacation. Mm. He was with his family. He was not expect. He was expecting to probably go to dinner or lunch and have events and everything else like that. Just dropped dead. Yeah, and by the way, John, just, just a little side note. Um, when we talk about CPR, yeah, it's a quite tragic, traumatic experience to the body. Yeah, uh, what's more, um, it is not as oft survived as people might believe. Yeah. Secondarily, when your heart stopped before the 1960s, yeah, CPR wasn't right a reality. Right. So, so this concept that we have of the distance of death. Right. And now we put death in the hospital. Right. Or now we put death in the nursing home or, right. or in hospice. But but death used to occur within the framework of life. Right. Where you had to admit this takes place. Yeah. 
And in America, we kind of, just like, you know, we don't like germs, so we always, every every right. few minutes, right. you know, this, this yeah. sanitizer. Yeah. We've almost sanitized the space of death in our arena to the point where we're distant from it. I, I, want, I want to say something just because uh, we're probably going to be closing uh, up soon. Uh, two things is, of course, being ready for that day that, that, that you and I do not know. Placing your faith in Jesus, who is the one who's able to give you life, not just life and existence, but abundant life and a promise of eternal life with him in heaven, where there is no death. Death can't get into heaven. Um, and to speak also of, of hope for, for the loved ones that are remaining. Uh, there are some people who have lost friends or family at a young age, whether it's the, uh, the families that are affected with the, uh, helicopter crash or whether it's a, a, a loved one in a different country who, uh, who had, um, a, a young mother die. And now there's children whose mom is not there any longer. I think we need to at least address that as well, because, um, it's one thing to t- say, you'll see mommy again. Um, but you still have to live those days without mommy. And that's, that's the, the challenge and the, and the, um, the difficulty that even for a believer in Jesus, death is not something we take lightly. And it's never something that and Jesus didn't take it lightly, even though his, he knew he was seeing his friend Lazarus again. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He still wept. Yes. And so I think, I think there has to be a healthy, um, approach to though Jesus has given us victory over, over death, death is still not something that we take lightly or dismiss and say, well, yeah, we'll see them one day and not grieve because grieving has to happen. It's part of the process. So I think we should uh, maybe address yeah. those. Summatively, th- th- that's quite a bit. L- let me. You have three just... minutes. <laughs> I'm kidding. Let me just say a few things. All deaths are not the same. Right. The process can be difficult. Was it not uh, the scholar R.C. Sproul who said, it's not, it's not death I'm afraid of. It's dying. Hmm. You never know how it's coming, right? Sometimes death and its cruelty gnaws at you, toys with you, pokes at you for a few years, claws and chews upon you a a bit. Sometimes it's a ravenous beast that takes you suddenly out of nowhere. You you, you don't know what that period looks like. The how of it can be quite troubling. It's it's rarely convenient, if I'm honest with you. Um, for, For a grandparent or a great-grandparent who's in their 90s, there's a, there's a child saying, one more Christmas with grandma or grandpa. But this person has, has watched the majority of their loved ones transition. And they are also watching their body undergo the weakness and, and the decay that, that suits our current condition. 
It's not easy. Um, and, and I want to give respect to that because sometimes as believers, we can adopt such language that almost makes it sound like it's not a big deal. Right. Um, it is a big deal and, and, uh, it, it can be difficult. Um, what, what can we control? I, I want to be careful about that language. I'm probably going to adjust that language a little bit and say that which we cannot control, Christ can. Right. Um, Sir Lancelot said some years ago, we must not preach what men want to hear, but we must preach what they will wish they had heard. One scholar says, um, in order to die well, one must live well. Pause. Because this is not what we mean. This is not, we don't mean go out and do the best you can now. That wouldn't qualify you to die. We don't mean um, give money to the poor, um, feed the hungry, uh, be really super nice to other people. That still doesn't qualify you to die. In fact, if I'm honest with you, there's nothing you can do well to die and be prepared to meet God. All that can be done to prepare you to die well has been done by Christ. Amen. Um, Christ did well so that we who have faith in him could die well. And what do you have to believe about Christ? First of all, you have to believe that he was who the scripture says he was. Namely, he's the eternal son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who took on flesh in order, says Hebrews chapter number two, that he might die for you. A pure sacrifice for your and my sins to destroy the works of the devil. That's also 1 John 3, 8. And so having come to do that on our behalf, it becomes effective for us when we place our faith in the person of Christ, being the Son of God, and in the work of Christ, not just having historically generally died, but having died for, and you fill your name in that. Right. And you have faith in that, suggesting this, that your work and your life of right standing with the Father is the only ground upon which I may safely stand when facing a holy God. And that outside of being held up by Christ, I fall hopelessly into eternity, having experienced one death, anticipating the worst death, namely, outside of Christ, I'll be separated from God eternally, which the Bible says would result in eternal punishment. And so what do I say? I say, so I believe that you are the son of God who died for me, who was buried for me, and who rose again for me. And I give you my sin and I take your right standing with the Father and thereby you take my death and give me life. And when I die, I die alive, and in the words of Dr. N.T. Wright, awaiting the glorious reality that while I am in your presence, yeah. in an interim body, 
your promise is to both me spiritually and to this body that lay in whatever place it lay in. And I am anticipating life after life after death with you. For the believer, we grieve. Jesus exemplifies that. Jesus gives us that permission. Paul gives us that permission. We grieve. But for the believer, we don't grieve as though it were hopeless. We grieve knowing that the euphemism or the metaphor that is employed toward believers is this, asleep. Now, now that's not Seventh-day Adventist doctrine. We don't go into a place of stasis uh, right. where we're there in that body. Yeah. No, that, that's not Scripture's revelation. Here's what Scripture argues. John, when you go to sleep, you're unconscious, and so you're not able to interact with people. Right. Um, you're divorced from any uh, proactivity or or anything of the sort with individuals. And so you lay there um, almost uh, um, separated from them. But you lay there in safety, knowing that at some point in time, you're going to wake up. The Bible is not using this euphemism because it's arguing um, that we don't actually die. It's saying that we are in a state of rest and peace in such a way where we're safe. And when God calls our name, those who are alive in his presence with him, that body is going to be raised up in glory. That which is mortal will have immortality. That which has corruption will be incorruptible. And death altogether will be swallowed up in victory. Um, And so we prepare in faith, in faith in the Son of God. If you don't have that faith, your insurance plan is is not your preparation. You're admitting, I'm going to die, and living wild and loosely is not your plan. Um, Your plan, if it does not include Christ, is promised failure. But for the believer who dies in Christ, you can say with the uh, hymn writer, Oh, I want to see him. Look upon his face, there to sing forever of his saving grace on the streets of glory, there to lift my voice, cares all past, home at last, ever to rejoice. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.